Terb Alper and the team of Nebraska. and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance on a Tuesday. This is his weekly Monday appearance, except it has occurred on a Tuesday, is the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest on this edition of the program. As he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball. Of particular note this week, of particular note this week, actually allow me to conduct a brief experiment. It is actually just to read aloud the notes I made while recording this edition of the program with Dave Cameron. Because it's easier, perhaps, and because I am riddled with sloth. In any case, what do we find? We find five different notes. We find one, antitrust. Antitrust. Number two, college, underlined twice here in this notebook. College, underlined twice. Three, physically impressive. Mysterious that. A mysterious note. Physically impressive. Note number four, Matt Wieters, dot, dot, dot. Another form of mystery, Matt Wieters, dot, dot, dot. And five, NRI, which is not an association for gun owners, but uh, instead denotes non-roster invitees, of which the Giants seem to have many, uh, at least many in the form of utility infielders. So perhaps some of those topics are addressed in what's to follow. Certainly one thing that follows is Dave Cameron, for whatever reason, I can't recall, for whatever reason, reciting the names of three American cities. Racine or Des Moines, Iowa, or, I don't know, you know, Burlington, North Carolina. That impromptu and incomplete geography lesson in what's to follow. And what's occurring right now is a brief message regarding Fangraph's ad-free memberships. Are you familiar with how ads are designed to create irrational allegiances to products, thus short-circuiting the foundations of a market-based economy? I'm not entirely aware of it either, and yet I suspect that is what is occurring with advertisements. Well, for a reasonable fee... Readers are now able to subscribe to an ad-free version of Fangraphs, which allows readers not only to access the site without the burden of advertisements, but also to experience faster loading speeds than one could reasonably imagine, if one has a poor imagination. It is the Fangraphs ad-free membership, accessible by a link at the post for this episode, with which we have come to the end of this introduction. Now let us move on to a conversation with Dave Cameron. What is it? It is Fangraph Study. Who does it feature? That same managing editor, Dave Cameron. And when does it begin? Right now. Somebody cares about them. Fewer people. Fewer people. Hey. What's more what's more vital college baseball to major league teams or NCAA basketball to major to NBA teams or college football to to uh you know NFL teams? Uh well, I think I don't know whether college basketball or college football is more vital. Probably college football. Yeah, college football because it's the one that requires the most pre uh, development, right? Like you can't just go from high school to 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 the NFL like you can with basketball. Uh, baseball, it is not vital at all. If college basketball baseball didn't exist, we would just have more minor league teams. Yeah, that's right. There's a there's a system in place. Baseball, college baseball is an alternative that doesn't actually need to exist. I mean, you could argue that too with basketball and football, where those guys could establish their own minor leagues, but they have not currently. So. I guess basketball What's, kind of has, but is it impractical to have a a, a minor leagues for football? I don't think so. It's probably just cheaper to pawn off all those players on colleges. 
No, yeah. But well, so why hasn't? Well, perhaps I mean perhaps relative to the, I don't know, the golden years of, you know, like when the Cardinals had in the Dodgers, both under uh, Brooks Robinson, no, Brooks no, Riley, Branch Ricky, Branch Ricky, yeah. <laughs> the they they had I mean like. He he was obviously notable for creating minor league teams. I feel like he had like twenty minor league teams at some point. Well, they also had the reserve clause, which meant they owned the rights to players forever. So there was no reason to not just stockpile all the players you could get. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't. Well, so um, have we seen a reduction in minor league teams then since I don't know since ever? Because um, it would make sense, right? Like, I mean, why, why do minor league teams continue to exist? Uh, I mean, that's a weird question because they are the place where players develop for the major leagues that don't go to college. Right. So, But but if it's cheaper to have the colleges do it, why why don't they just let the colleges do it? Well, for one, colleges are not uh, going to recruit international players in the same way that you can recruit international players if you are just signing them yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. So if That's you were true. just like, oh, I'm only going to, you know, have – American kids who can qualify and get accepted to American colleges, congratulations, you just lost 45% of the minor leagues. Yeah. All right. I guess I'm just trying to figure out what – if you were going to start a baseball league from scratch, if you were going to start – if there was, if baseball was just invented and you had some wealthy investors, how would they construct the league? How? Oh, that's an interesting question. I've stumbled upon some things at least that interest me for a moment. <laughs> if you were going to construct the league now, what would be – would you say, okay, 30 teams? Would you say um, – Well, you definitely this, wouldn't do 30 because it makes the uh, interleague play issue um, challenging. So you would you would want to end with a, uh, uh, a number that is divisible into two even sets. Okay. So 32 or 28. 32 or 28, yeah. So let's say 32. Yeah. We'll add, uh, we'll if you, if you were Brooke, just, Brooklyn and Montreal can have teams. <clears throat> and then, oh yeah, uh, Travis Sotchik wrote a piece about, I don't have it up right now on my uh, desktop, but he wrote about uh, a different, what, league alignment. It's difficult to get all the, to get all the teams into the correct uh, geographical divisions. Yeah, I mean, I think what we, you, if you just look at the United States population, there is a concentration of people on the East Coast in close geographic proximity, and on the West Coast, people are really spread out. <laughs> so, uh, if you try and like, oh, we want a whole bunch of teams, or we want even numbers of East and West, there just aren't enough population centers on the West Coast to make that viable. Right. So, if you would you would you do uh, if, if you're starting a new league, would you construct the minor leagues the way they are now? Uh, that's an interesting question. So college still exists in this theoretical world? Yeah, like college the, still exists. The, the only NCAA thing that's hasn't been shot into space. Right. The only, uh, thing, the only thing that's different... Wait, what was shot into space? The NCAA. <laughs> yeah, I think college still does exist. Okay. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if you would structure it exactly the same way. I do mm-hmm. think you, you have to have some uh, alternative development to college because you do have a lot of people who aren't going to go to college. Um, and I think there's an argument that it's more efficient to get the best talented players out of high school or, you know, internationally and get them started on a path to the majors, you know, before they would graduate from their or get their finish their junior year of college. So I think you would have some kind of system in place, whether it would look like the current form. I don't know. I don't, 
I mean, I think there's um, some some significant cultural issues with taking kids from the Dominican Republic and being like, you're going to Kenosha, Wisconsin for the summer. Enjoy. And that still exists. Right. That's still, I mean, that exists. That's, yeah. That's uh, like, that's still a real yeah. thing. Uh, and so I, I don't know that that's ideal. Do you think, so right. Yeah. Because obviously minor league teams tend to exist in smaller uh, metro areas because right. they cannot, because if, if, if those teams could support, you know, crowds of 30,000 every night, then they would right. be major league teams. Yeah. I mean, I think um, what you're trying to balance is like the financial reality of supporting a minor league team with what's best for the development of the players. And those things are probably at odds. Yeah. I f- uh, one thing I've observed, Dave Cameron, uh, perhaps this is a naive statement, is that sometimes that which is most profitable is at odds with <laughs> that uh, – is beneficial for the development of humans. Yeah, but the minor leagues aren't really profitable, right? Like this isn't this isn't an instance where it's like owners are just like, well, screw the players, we're making as much money as possible. In most cases, major league teams don't own the minor league teams, and frequently, minor league teams are not money making operations. So why do they exist? Well, so why? I mean, they need to exist. You need to have some kind of structure in place to allow these players to play and develop. Um, the question is, why are they located in like Racine? Or Des Moines, Iowa, or I guess Des Moines is an actual town. Uh, I don't know, you know, Burlington, North Carolina. Like, why do these places have to be the host cities for these development plots? And it's generally because if you're trying to um, draw baseball attendance, you don't want to leech off of your own. You don't want to create a competitor for yourself, right? So, like, the New York Yankees don't want to put a team down the street and be like, hey, tickets to that game are six bucks a piece. Take your kid mm-hmm. to that one instead, uh, which I guess that maybe then we are arguing that it comes back to profit. But if you're you're locating minor league teams away from major league teams uh, because you're trying not to dilute the product in the in a city, that means you're now locating minor league teams outside of metropolitan areas. There are well, of course, the Yankees do have a team in Staten Island. Staten that's Island. A, Staten Island is a weird place. We went there last summer. Yeah, I guess that's I guess what you, I mean. Your, your point was that it would be five minutes. I. As the crow flies, they're not very far apart. I mean, maybe ten miles or whatever. Yeah, but, across the uh, water. Yeah, but there's a lot. You, there's a lot of effort to get. To, you have to take Bronx. a ferry, and people that are is, not necessarily going to take a ferry. Yeah, and then um, there's of course there's a team in there's a team in Brooklyn as well now, which I suppose is it's not really a competitor with the Mets though, because if you would like to see the highest. Well, I was going to say if you want to – there's a couple jokes to be made. I was going to say if you want to see the <laughs> highest quality baseball, you go see a Mets game. Um, that's not always the case, although they – They've been to, good the last few years. They've been, yeah, the last few years, yeah. Right. And um, anytime Noah Syndergaard is uh, pitching, you're yeah. going to see probably the best or close to the best. So I'd say probably the most – is he the most physically impressive pitcher? Um, that's. A, I mean that's – I guess it depends how you're going to go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that Bartolo Colon is the most physically impressive player. <laughs> so he's still around and is a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like what Noah Syndergaard can do as a starting pitcher, like uh, you know, throwing 100 miles an hour for 100 pitches is you know rare. So um, I might aesthetically prefer Rich Hill's curveball, but that's mm-hmm. I'm weird. He must have. Do you, I mean, do you think Noah Syndergaard? So far as we know, does he have the record for most? Whatever, 100 mile per hour fastballs in a game. I mean, we don't know because we don't have like Randy Johnson and Nolan Ryan, and we can't compare back more than seven years. But I would think mm-hmm. in the pitch effects era, he almost certainly has to. Yeah. 
That I, that's like if if you're essentially trying to represent objectively, like is this person essentially a different species than everyone else around him? I'd say a hundred mile per hour fastballs in you know over the course of a game or like in a single game, and that has to be one of the measurements you use. And Noah Syndergaard looked at himself at the end of last season and said, "You know what I need to do next year? Throw harder." Right. That's strange. Although <laughs> he didn't. Let's see. He so so. There's two points, right? So Travis Sotrick's warning was he got bigger, and he should watch out because he's already sort of an outlier. I mean, maybe you could say this is sort of black sheep theory. Like he is an outlier, therefore. He'll probably continue to be an outlier, but we don't know what happens when people throw 100 miles, per, 100 miles per hour this often. But then I, uh, one commenter noted, it, and he sort of he articulated an idea that occurred to me vaguely, which was, well, maybe he will not to won't have to use the same sort of effort to maintain the same kind of velocity. Yeah, I mean, you could make cases on either side, right? Like, this is a case yeah. where we just don't know. Like, anyone who's making definitive claims that, like, Noah Syndergaard is bigger, so therefore he's an, a bigger risk, or he's bigger, so therefore he's a lesser risk, like, no one knows. And mm -hmm. you could basically, like, identify a huckster by the amount of confidence they have in their opinion about predicting pitcher injuries. I think I think confidence in general, I think it's, it's, uh, it's uh, correlated with... The degree to which one is a huckster. I, I mean, you need. You, there are things in life that we should have confidence in, right? Like, it, you're not a huckster if you have confidence that the sun will rise tomorrow. Uh, you are a huckster if you can say, like, uh, I can tell you that because the sun will rise tomorrow and the the you know motion of the moon, that means that when you go out, you're going to get smacked in the head with a goldfish. Like, yeah, that's. Uh, I was at a meeting yesterday, and someone said someone was talking about. Uh, how he was a doctor, and how he had to check a box. Yeah, he was just using a random example about about a parrot bite as like you know like uh, coding coding a particular injury. And I said, "Are parrot bites really a problem?" And he said, "Well, no, they're not." <laughs> so anyway, that's where that conversation ended. Right. Dave, I love. I, I I asked you to stay around too long uh, in the last episode, so let's make this short, okay? We're gonna no, make, we're gonna not we're not feel, done. You feel bad about the the delayed lunch that you caused me to have today? Yeah, you're, you're also having trouble with that. I understand, yeah. but I do want to ask you: um, Are we wait, are we we're not done with this college conversation? Oh, I God. mean, we haven't solved it, but I don't think there's anything we more should to go. we should be done with the college conversation. Well, no, but I'm saying the which which led us to the question, which I think was interesting. If you were to construct the game from scratch today, how would you do it? I know you write posts along these lines, anyways, to some degree, where it's like, well, why don't we make, why don't we render this rule differently? Now? Right. Yeah. Major League Baseball doesn't listen to you. Dave. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I think there's plenty of evidence that Rob Banford is aware of what is written on the internet. I don't think he's personally reading fan graphs, but right. uh, the commissioner's office uh, responds to and seems inclusive of ideas that are being published. Like probably the strike zone stuff is the most notable. But. Okay, right, all right. Uh, so we're, let's 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 abandon the idea of of, of um, starting the game anew. Okay. Um, from from scratch. Let's, idea let's go abandoned. To, Let's go to another question, which is the Nationals' decision to sign Matt Wieters because it's timely and because I think it adds, it leads to at least one interesting question. But oh, as you wrote today, Matt Wieters was a free agent for some time. He'd been rumored uh, – there was general thought that 
it made sense if, were he to join the Nationals, but in the meantime, the Nationals signed Derek Norris. No, and traded then, for what, Derek to, Norris. Traded for Derek Norris, right, with the Padres, I assume, or the A's, <laughs> one of those two. Pod, Padres, yeah. Yeah, the Padres. They got Austin Hedges. Yeah. Maybe he learned how to hit. Jeff yeah. Selvin sure thinks so. Maybe. And uh, then the Nationals signed Matt Wieters anyway. Yeah, for if some you, reason. Right. Well, for some reason, <laughs> I ask you to do this sometimes. I say, uh, what? If, give the team the benefit of the doubt. What is their, what is their reasoning? Uh, do I have to give the real answer, or am I trying to play devil's advocate? We'll do both, if you seem to have two opinions. Okay, two well, the real, the real answer is Matt Wieters is represented by Scott Boris. Scott Boris has the ear of Ted Lerner. Ted Lerner told the front office to sign Matt Wieters. That's the real answer. Uh, the benefit of the doubt answer is that, I don't know, there isn't one. That's, that's what happened. Scott Boris talked to the owner, and the owner signed the player. In addition to to Norris and, and now Wieters, the team also what has Pedro, Pedro Severino, yeah, and also Jose Lobaton. Jose Lobaton. What did Lobaton do last year? I haven't looked at his he numbers was fine. for a while. He was a perfectly acceptable backup catcher. Okay, yeah, he's been around for a while, and I feel yeah. like never uh, never fantastic. But he's, I, he's, not, he's not great. You don't want him as your starter, but if he's your backup, mm-hmm. you're fine. He probably played. Uh, he, I think he came up with the Padres. That seems right. No, the Rays. Yeah, but I think he probably came up with the Padres, don't you think? I mean, you can feel that way, but that is an alternative <laughs> fact. Yeah, you think <laughs> it is? Yeah. What, what am I thinking of then? Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, but I know. I, um, get a mouthy dog today. Uh, okay, so they got four catchers. I mean, Severino is probably would benefit from more major league. Uh, My, minor minor he's, league. He's going to Triple A. He has no chance. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's see. Jose Lobaton signed by the San Diego Padres as a free agent in 2002. Yeah. Okay, well, he came up through the... <laughs> okay, well, well, he, I, he I, played I gotta... for the Padres in 2009, Dave Cameron, and oh, then he went years, to the Rays. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, when you're talking, just talking about confidence in hucksters before, you were really <laughs> trying to sell me on something. I saw Jose Lobaton play in AAA. In, in, uh, and, in then, and then he reached the majors, and you were like, this does not interest me anymore. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. He's a little more slender than I imagined. Did you see Jose Lobaton catch Corey Kluber? I don't think I did. No, I don't think I did. I think Kluber might have been out of the system then, or maybe he yeah. was in the lower levels at that point. No, that okay. would have been something I could have told my grandchildren. There I don't have go. grandchildren, though. <laughs> okay, so right, so you given us can a couple of Can examples. I take a 10-second pause to go stop my dog from working? Yeah, let's play the uh, – we'll, we'll do the we'll do the Fangraphs hold music. All right, hold music. I don't actually think that worked. I think she's going to bark louder now. All right. It's fine. Fair enough. So now we return. Uh, Okay. So stockpiling catchers is probably not a great strategy. Is that fair? Especially if you're paying like a premium, you know, market value for them? I mean, the reality is they're not really stockpiling. They're replacing. Like Dusty Baker said today to the press, we're going to trade Derek Norris, or we're almost certainly going to trade Derek Norris. So um, they're going to give Derek Norris away, and Matt Wieters will replace him, and they'll have the same number of catchers they had beforehand, and probably the same quality of catchers they had beforehand. So they're going to trade – all right, so so a couple questions. I would assume 
I don't know. You have, of course, more expertise in the area of economics than I do. I would assume announcing that you're going to give a product away uh, would hurt the value of that product, or is that not is that not true because there are 29 teams competing for it? Right. So it doesn't. That's actually kind of one of the myths. Is like people are always like, "Oh man, if you if you say you're going to trade this guy, you lose your leverage." But like, you know, if you go to the grocery store, they're like, "Hey, milk's on sale." They're not like, "Well, we don't really want to give you this milk. Why don't you make us an offer for our milk? Otherwise, we're just going to drink it." Like you just go <laughs> in. And you're like, "Ah, you have milk for sale. I have desire to have milk. Here's some here's some cash. Let's do a transaction." Uh, so I think, it, you know, in our daily life, we realize that, like, putting something for sale does not actually reduce its value as long as there are more than one bidder. And right. Okay. So that's the key, right? Yeah. There, there has to be more than one bidder. Yeah. If there's okay. only one bidder, then the bidder has some advantage and be like, well, if you don't sell it to me, you're screwed. But if there's two bidders, congratulations, now you have market. So if you only have one – if you're only haggling – this is, for example, like if you're at, like, a market in Turkey, Right. You go to like a, an open-air market in Turkey, and there's a vase that you want to buy. Uh, this that's isn't when, like that then, though, because the person, by going to the market and putting his vase for sale, has declared his intention to sell it. Right. But I, but if you say – but if it's a one-of-a-kind item and you say – if he says it's $45, you, could, you as the purchaser are going to be like, no, it's too expensive. But it, yeah, but, but he, he's not assuming that you're the only purchaser. I would say it's more like – and this is like – Maybe the worst analogy I've ever used on the podcast, but mm-hmm. going into someone's home and being like, hey, I like your wife. How much for your wife? That is terrible. That is, <laughs> and it could be spouse. It doesn't have to right, be a okay. wife. Yeah, so someone could also be like, yeah, I like your dog or whatever. Like You could make an offer to someone who has not put something for sale and they would not consider selling it otherwise. Um, and then you, you would be like, well, if you don't sell it to me, you're going to be stuck with your dog. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really bad analogy. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. All right, so they're not so they're not stockpiling. I just get getting rid of it. But it it did lead me to believe. It led me to ask if you're going about stockpiling. If it, if a team wants to stockpile, yeah, where what where can you do that and it makes sense? Pitching, you should have okay, seventy five yeah. pitchers on the roster okay, on your forty yeah. man roster. Yeah. Are there teams? Are, wait, would it be if we were to were to look at all of the teams, all the teams forty. 40-man rosters or, say, the minor leagues yeah. or whatever, um, and we were to um, look at – if we were to sort them by number of pitchers on the 40-man roster, would that reveal anything to us about those teams? Not necessarily because really the way you stockpile pitchers is not to crowd your 40-man roster because you have to have roughly 21 or 22 position players at minimum just mm-hmm. to be able to field a team and like have backups on a bench and like a couple guys you can call up in case of an emergency. Um, more likely what you'd look at is like – teams that sign minor league free agents with non-roster invites and how many of those guys are in camp. So if you've got, like, 15 guys on an NRI, like, I think the San Francisco Giants right now have uh, the population of a small town of California competing for their utility infielder job. Like, they just signed mm-hmm. Aaron Hill the other day. They've got, uh, I don't know, six or seven guys fighting for one bench spot. Um, that's a case where they've stockpiled bad backup infielders. Teams right. will usually stockpile pitching by, hey, I'm going to sign Jorge De La Rosa to a minor league contract and bring him to camp and have like seven of those guys. Oh yeah, De La, Ro- De La Rosa signed. He did. He was uh, he was your most interesting free agent that remained. I suggested that a major league team should sign him, and he got a minor league contract with a bad team. No one agrees with team. me on this. The market has rejected my hypothesis that Jorge De La Rosa could be a good bullpen piece this year. 
Well, he's yeah, but uh, the, I mean, Arizona perhaps didn't reject your hypothesis. They just uh, they just didn't have to give him a major league deal. Apparently, right. The market as a whole rejected because right. if there was like any thought that like that my hypothesis was even remotely correct, he doesn't get a minor league contract. Yeah, right. But I guess but the people are not that excited. And as you noted, uh, writing about it somewhere, I, I don't know. Is he is he appreciably worse than Giovanni Gallardo? No, I think he's better. Okay, he's better. And Giovanni Gallardo is going to make eleven million dollars this year and was traded for on purpose. Traded for on purpose, right? And and uh, Baltimore got Seth Smith from who is not who's not terrible. A, right, not terrible. He's not neither great nor right. nor bad. Right. And he'll and especially if you have a. Enough room on your roster to platoon a corner right. position, then yep. he's pretty good. Yep. Huh. All right. So pitching is the way to do it, right? <coughs> if you're going to stockpile a certain thing. Yep. And you, and you're going to have to. If you're stockpiling, so how are you going to do it? You could, you could do it through the draft. Um, you could do it through, or you could just find guys who are a little, who are a little bit banged up. Right. Yeah. I think that's probably year. the easiest way to do it is to. Because, it, it, you know, if you're drafting guys, generally you're now going to develop them. You're not going to necessarily use them as depth. Like, you can't take last year's first-round pick and be like, ah, oh, this guy's pitching depth for me this year. Like, you need a couple of years to get that guy into a position where he can pitch on your big league team. So if you're trying to stockpile pitching depth, you generally want to do it with, like, broken-down veterans who are trying to hang around the game for a while and are maybe willing to go to AAA for a few months and wait for a job. The advantage to pitchers, of course, too, is that they do not need to be deployed at a specific position. Right. right? Yep. So if you get a guy who's only ever played third base, you say, well, he probably has the uh, the glove, the arm to play right field. But if he's never played right field before, then that's difficult. And of course, these are just two positions. He's, yep. You know, this is the, to the say twins nothing. Of, tried that with Miguel Sano last year, and that didn't work out very well. Yeah. Right. And it, and and uh, now, do you think that in a vacuum, Miguel Sano has the tools to play right field? Well, a vacuum moves pretty quickly, so he would probably have more range if he was, like, standing on some kind of Dyson or, you know, some kind of – is that a bad joke? Do you think <laughs> anyone's laughing right now? No, I don't think so. I do think that's the type of joke that – like, I get a sense that, like, when – like, when you leave the hospital after giving birth, like, the ho- the hospital gives you, like, a like a, jo- a joke book for dad's book, yeah, yeah. and that's in, and that's in it. I, I'm pretty sure, like, the only reason I had a child was so that I could legally tell dad jokes. Because I've, right, I've liked them for a very long time, but now I can I can actually tell them because I have a dad card. Right, and yes, it's true. And otherwise, especially in in certain states, you can be arrested. That's right, yeah. I don't want to be deported by this new uh, immigration force. <laughs> having my dad card. What, what is there? Is there a sanctuary city for dad jokes? <laughs> uh, it's probably, like, Nashua. Oh, Nashua. Yeah. I would, How do you uh, know about... How do I know about a city in America? I don't know. Well, in the United United States, how do you know about Nashua? Nashua? It's a a real place. Yeah, I I considered moving there at one point. Did you? Yeah, well, I'm white, so you have to. (laughs) At what point in your life did you consider moving to Nashua? Uh, After I visited Manchester and decided it was a dump. Yeah, that's right. It is a little bit of a dump. Yeah, Yeah, old Milltown. Uh, what about stockpiling? Now you mentioned the utility sort. I would think that so. What are the advantages, right, to someone who can play shortstop or at least pass at shortstop? Is that he could probably play all the other positions as well? Yes, right. right. And that's why you see. I mean, that's why you see. Like, if you look at Eric Longinigan's prospect list for the Atlanta system today, you find a lot of guys who are listed at shortstop, like and Kevin you find Ray a lot Allen. of guys about. 
about whom Eric says he probably will not be shortstop in the future. Exactly. That's how it works. I mean, Miguel Cabrera played shortstop. Yeah. Mike Morse played shortstop in the Jim, major leagues, by the G- way. Jim Tomey was a shortstop. Yeah, okay. So, it, right. So this is what happens. And it, it, it's probably true. I mean, I think Albert Pujols was a shortstop too, right? Yep. Um, uh, in, in college, at least. But, of course, right. These guys, they were – because they were the best – they were the best player on their teams, uh, you know, for most of their lives, right. and that included defensively, just because of their their athleticism. If you, if, but if you find a guy who who has that sort of defensive, I would I would assume that finding guys who have that defensive capability is also good too. Even if it's not shortstop, maybe it's just the, you know, the, the sort of middle infield type. Although perhaps Micah Johnson is 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 a, is like single handedly an argument to the contrary. Is this still know. a question about stockpiling? Yeah, would you stockpile Micah Johnsons? Yeah, if I wanted to have like a bad team. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so the answer is no. Yeah. All right. So stockpiling catchers though is not a uh, you don't it's think that's a, a strategy. Not a thing that anyone does, and it's not what the Nationals are doing. No, because they just happen. So so essentially, this is um, this is the owner of the Nationals say, I got us Matt Weeders. Yep. So figure out what to do with the team. Yep. That's no, okay. that's basically how this works. So why so what, why do you think that he didn't sign Weeders before? Because Boris thought he could get he could get more money for Weeders. Probably. I mean, it's a two way street, right? So like, if uh, you know Boris was willing to take two twenty in December, maybe they never make the Matt Weeders, or maybe they never make the Derek Norris trade, and ownership's just yeah. like, ah, oh, we like that idea. But I'm guessing like the price was substantially higher and has fallen significantly. All right. And like, hey, Cam, to, yeah. Oh, you go ahead. You keep going. Yeah, that's good. I was gonna say like this. Kind of like I wrote about this in the worst transaction piece of like you know the Mark Trumbo deal ended up on the worst transaction post even though I think like three thirty seven for Mark Trumbo is perfectly fine because he's an okay player and three thirty seven is not a lot of money. Matt Wieters is an okay player and two twenty is not a lot of money these days. Uh, but the fit is just really weird, right? Like that's the kind of the problem is like the Nationals have all these other holes. We're not like criticizing the Nationals for signing Matt Wieters for not a lot of money. We're criticizing them because they still don't have a replacement for Mark Melanson. Their bench is terrible. Um, they let a whole bunch of guys who could have really helped them go for significantly less money. It's like, why are you spending money on this thing you didn't need when you didn't sign all these other things you could have needed? So the, I mean, the most convenient scenario, right, would be for the, um, would be for the Nationals to trade Derek Norse to a team that has an extra relief pitcher somewhere. Right, and, and there, I think there was speculation from Jerry Krasnick and some others that like, oh, this perfectly sets up the Nationals to make a long-rumored trade for David Robertson, and like the White Sox have said they want a catcher, and but you're not like they're not trading David Robertson for Derek Norris, and like um, realistically, I think if the Nationals were going to acquire David Robertson, this actually makes that less likely because they just gave up twenty million dollars, and now they have less money to spend. The three worst teams by uh, projected WAR for us. Well, the White Sox are. Are right there. They're tied for 27, 27th, 20th, however you want to say it. Uh, then it's the Braves, Tyler Flowers, although I think Flowers has value as a framer that is maybe not captured by our projections. True? Uh, yeah, I think that's somewhat true. True. Uh, 29th, in terms of war, is the Diamondbacks starting Chris Herman? 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 No, they're not starting Chris Herman anymore. Maybe Chris Iannetta? Yeah, Chris Iannetta and Jeff Mathis are going to share that job. Okay, and then uh, the Rockies have Tony Wolters. And Tom Murphy. And Tom Murphy. I think they're happy with their young pair. Okay. So so there's, so there's not an immediate trade 
necessarily I mean, you just could, going by like, that. I think the White Sox are probably the most likely trade partner in the sense of like the White Sox would probably just take Derek Norris and be like, thanks for the free catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how the Nationals got him from the Padres. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be like, oh, Derek Norris, big valuable trade chip. Like, he's still a guy who hit like 120 last year or something. Uh, you're not going to get a lot for Derek Norris. Do the, National, do the Nationals have something else they could trade? Why don't they trade Lucas Giolito? Yeah, they already traded all those guys to the White Sox. Hey, why don't they trade Re- Reynaldo Lopez? Yeah, or maybe Dane Dunning. Yeah. Any of those guys? No, they're already in Chicago. They're already in Chicago. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you just briefly about the worst transactions piece. I think that uh, your – I don't know if I'm looking at the definitive numbers, but it is interesting. You made – this is a – what 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 readers may not realize is actually you're providing this content, the best transactions of the offseason, the worst transactions of the offseason. But really what it is is a psycholo- like a psychology test for for readers. Because it's, the it's worst transactions test. one always gets way more way more page views. It's so so much more traffic on the worst transactions post. I think actually like one of the first comments I got on Twitter after I published the best one is when does the worst one come out? Yeah, people but really you had trouble. Transactions post. You had trouble to some degree to write the the worst one this year. Yeah, and I think like this is something like beyond just the transaction analysis that I'm like wrestling with to some extent is like what is the purpose of FanGraphs or like what role do online commentators, baseball commentators, serve when teams are no longer doing things that deserve criticism with regularity, right? Like, uh, and I think this has been heightened in the last week because I don't, like, follow the NBA that closely, but, like, apparently DeMarcus Cousins got traded for absolutely nothing, and DeMarcus Cousins is, like, a top 10 player, apparently, is what I'm reading on Twitter. And then today, I think the Lakers uh, fired their general manager and president of baseball or basketball operations and hired Magic Johnson, who now, according to my Twitter timeline, has said a whole bunch of really stupid things about basketball over the last couple of years. And uh, it seems like basketball teams are run still to the point where, like, you can just pick the low-hanging fruit and say, that was a silly move. Why did you do that? And there's still room for that kind of commentary. Where in baseball, like, you know... I didn't like the Seth Smith of the Funny Gardo trade for the Mariners, but it is really scratching the bottom of the barrel to call that one of the worst transactions of the winner. This is like my bench player for your back-end starter, and it cost me an extra couple million dollars. Like This is not a move that really matters in the grand scheme of things. Well, you uh, only did 10 because for purposes of... Um, and, well, I really only did 9 because one of the ones on the list was a <laughs> non-trade. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You're really deceiving. I, I cheated. Uh, yeah, so I think like... Um, it's just an interesting question of like, what is the role of baseball analysis, public baseball analysis now when, I mean, it's always been true that teams have had more information than we do, but there aren't any more teams that both now don't have more information and don't use it better than we do. Like there was always some teams that had information and they just didn't, didn't pay attention to it, mm-hmm. uh, or they didn't weight it properly. Everybody in baseball now knows more than we do, and I don't want to like play like the appeal to authority game and be like, we just needed to defer to them on every signing. But it's hard to take like a stance of like, this was a bad move when mm-hmm. they have better data and better information and better people processing that information, and there just aren't that many cases where it's like, yep, you traded DeMarcus Cousins for nothing. Bad job. Yeah, well, uh, and, and I, I'd say that as a... I'm certainly, um, as a fan, one always wants to know, did did my team, like, how did they do with this trade, right, or this signing? And I think that, 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 that probably there's some, there's always been 
um, some value discussing that. And the more you can use, um, you know, tools, to, uh, res- you know, responsibly to answer those questions, I think that the, there always be some merit to that. Uh, but if I, obviously there's a, it's it's a constantly evolving game. There's a lot to discuss. Besides those, I'd say there's still you could still in- interact with the game. Oh sure. I mean, I don't think like Fangrass is going away. That wasn't the point. But I was saying like, what's yeah. the utility of a worse transactions list when there aren't any bad transactions? Oh, I see. So, right? so about this like particular. Oh, about like this brand of commentary or this type yeah. of comment. Like, you know, I had to write ten transactions because I wrote ten good transactions and I like symmetry, mm-hmm. and so I wasn't going to do fewer bad. Tra- but like, there weren't ten bad transactions this winter. Like, if I was being honest, there were like four. <laughs> right. Maybe six. Like, I mean, I could have easily stopped after the Dexter Fowler signing. Hey, we we uh, we played over under game last time, and uh, I, I like that quite a bit. But I'm curious. I don't. I don't perhaps I'm not going to pose this actually as an over under bet. But I'm curious about Ian Desmond in Colorado. I know you're curious about him. That was your worst transaction. But you also made the point that if they had signed Ian Desmond. To play outfield or yeah. play third base, or not not that they would have him play third base. That's where Arenado is. But the idea is to have him play the infield, um, not first base. Then the, the it wouldn't actually be an entirely unreasonable contract. Uh, it's only really, but I was gonna say like when I was putting the list together, you know, as we were talking about like there aren't that many bad transactions. <laughs> I think you could have basically crossed off two if the teams who signed them would have been different, right? If the Orioles had signed Ian Desmond and the Rockies had signed Mark Trumbo. You just change the two destinations, you probably take both of those off the list cuz like 337 for Trumbo to play first base in Colorado, that's that's fine. Like giving up the first round pick, like maybe it still ends up on there because they gave up the 11th pick to sign Mark Trumbo is not that great, but it's not terrible. And if the Rockies had signed Ian Desmond, or if the Orioles had signed Ian Desmond to play outfield and, like, improve their outfield defense behind a mediocre pitching staff and be a good athlete and, you know, be an above-average big leaguer, okay, that's fine. They're a win-now team who's trying to win with Manny Machado, and, like, that's that's fine, too. <laughs> like, all you had to do is switch the cities on those transactions, and now we all we have left is <laughs> Kendris Morales got $20 million too much money. <laughs> You know, Saris uh, has made a bold prediction, which is that Kendris Morales will record the highest home run total of his career this season. Yeah, I know a lot of people really buy into this idea of, like, they really think park effects matter, like, a huge amount for mm-hmm. – and I think besides Colorado, they don't. Like, people really overstate the effects of park effects, I think. All right. Well, I guess we'll see. I, and that's uh, – this is one of the things where we need to uh, need to find the data. Need to, well, we need to see it occur. Well, I mean, I think we have a pretty good amount of data at this point where, like, yes, Kendris Morales played in a ballpark that suppresses home runs, and now he's going to a ballpark that increases home runs. But he's only going to play 80 games there, and he's going to swing and miss a decent amount. Like, the number of balls he's going to hit that would leave Toronto, that he happens to be playing in Toronto when he hits them, that wouldn't have left Kansas City, and he was playing in Kansas City when he hit those. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 10 batted balls or something. Like, it is not a large number. I accept that. Yeah. So then you have hey. to hope that the atmosphere on those ten batted balls moves like six of them over the wall. Like that's that's a pretty big change. Cameron, I'm gonna go to the I'm gonna go to the gym now. Okay. You tell, are, tell Jim uh, I said you, hi. You for go go. That's actually Ugh. page page one of the dad joke. Book. <laughs>
First, I'm going to gargle. I'm going to go upstairs and gargle. Anyway, uh, it's been a pleasure, Dave Cameron. Mostly a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, and you have uh, you are free of your obligations to Fangraphs Audio now. That's fantastic. All right. That has been Dave Cameron. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Fangraphs Audio.